So later in this week, we're going to have a chance to actually look into greater depth into the Virginia Cavaliers. Is you know, again, I'm I'm at a loss for trying to figure out this 54 to 44 loss they had to North Carolina, and the loss is because I don't know whether you know Carolina should be ashamed that they didn't win by more, whether Virginia should be credited for keeping it this close, whether because the officiating was somewhat questionable, Virginia actually could have had a chance to win. At certain junctures, if if some officiating breaks go the right way at the right time and the momentum swings differently. But last year, it's probably the right outcome, all things considered, is that North Carolina won a gritty defensive game by 10. And it's a topic that we get to discuss right now in part uno of Covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. With Jerry Ratcliffe of jerryratcliffe.com. Hootie, a pleasure to have you back into the fast lane once again. Um, Curious watching this game. If the officiating was a little bit better, clearly fans at JPJ had issues with it, and I can actually understand it. Should Virginia have had a chance to win, or given how putrid the Wahoos were offensively, should it have been in North Carolina by winning by even more than the 10-point margin? Well, I don't like to blame games on officiating, although it was a little shaky the other day for sure. But um, I think Virginia only has themselves to blame for not winning that game. They they had the same number of field goals made as North Carolina, but they couldn't uh, couldn't make a three-point shot to save their lives. And... I mean, that was the difference in the game was that Cormac Ryan was 6 of 11 from the three-point line and Virginia was 2 of 14. And uh, even though both teams played really good defense, Virginia's offense has, uh, of late, left a lot to be desired. I mean, they, three straight games without getting to 50 points is... Um, is a commentary on, on just how your offense is, is going and it's just not going well and you know part of that's because other teams are focusing on shutting down Beekman and McNeely nothing really new we saw that earlier during a four game losing streak but uh, the smart coaches in the ACC have gone back and used that blueprint to try to shut Virginia down and so far it's working Hootie you mentioned Cormac Ryan really being the one guy. He was 6 of 11 from three-point range. All 18 of his six came from downtown. That just took some basic math skills that somehow I mastered back in the day to figure that one out. But how much was that really a difference? And frankly, is that a telling difference of where a team like North Carolina is a little bit better than Virginia because even with Virginia's best defense and North Carolina playing hard defense at some point, the Heels have guys who can make timely plays at the right moment, and that can be a difference in a low-margin game. I, I think, you know, yeah, that I think that is a difference because Carolina has better overall talent, and it was definitely a mismatch in the front court uh, with Baycott down low, even though he was held to uh, 10 points and and 13 rebounds uh, he's he's a load in there and Virginia doesn't have an answer for him Jordan Miner uh, really couldn't handle him uh, nearly fouled out trying to and then Blake Buchanan uh, is just not built for that at this point of his career 
so you know with him and Ingram down inside Virginia really um, struggled to contain that and if they did try to slough off and, and, and jam the lane down there that opened up the perimeter for for Ryan uh, uh, Virginia was able to shut down R.J. Davis he was only uh, Beekman really handcuffed him he was only one of 14 the ACC's leading scorer um, but with with him covered up and Baycott and Ingram covered up that left Ryan wide open at times McNeely just couldn't get to him and, and he was making wide open shots from the perimeter Hootie, I don't pretend to be a bracketologist uh, here in the fast lane or at any other point in life, but are we at the spot where maybe this Virginia team, if they continue to kind of stumble down the stretch offensively and they drop another game uh, in the regular season and maybe early in the ACC tournament, that they might be that surprise team that misses out on the big dance? Well, it certainly could, Ed. I think the last I saw, and I don't know how much you can put into that stuff, but because it changes from day to day, but uh, last I saw, I think they were a number 10 seed in the West. Um, I mean, tomorrow night is going to be, or not tomorrow night, but Wednesday night is going to be a challenge at Boston College in a a 9 o'clock game in an arena where people rarely show up, and when they do, they're not very enthusiastic. So it could be kind of a dead atmosphere trap game so to speak, and, and they took it to Virginia pretty hard last year. So, you know, Tony's got to guide them through that somehow and get back home, get ready for a, a challenging game at Duke on Saturday. And then, of course, they have a week off before they host Georgia Tech. So um, they, I think they've got to win at least two of these last three regular season games and then um try to make a little bit of noise in the ACC tournament and see what happens. But I'd say right now they're probably in, but they could play their way onto the bubble with one misstep for sure. Hootie, last one, and we'll wrap it up on this. They haven't gotten as much attention, but are the Virginia Lady Cavaliers quietly asserting themselves as one of the better stories? I know they're not on the level of Virginia Tech or some of the top teams in the ACC, but they seem to be sneaking out wins here or there and making some level of progress. Yeah, I think it's just natural maturation for some of those players. Uh, she's got a lot of new faces on the team, and uh, Mo Johnson has turned out to be everything that we thought she would be uh, for those of us who uh, observe Virginia women's basketball. Uh, she was a high school McDonald's All-American and homegrown, and she has been spectacular all season long. She's She's not really a freshman anymore, so. Uh, but this, you know, this team has has been competitive, even though they've lost uh, quite a few games. But they've been competitive, and now they're they seem to be uh, taking that next step here toward the end of the season. I, I don't know what's in store for them, but um, they could make a little noise in in the, the tournament as well, and. Who knows? Who knows what can happen? But I, I think they're gearing up more for next year when uh, this team will have had a lot of experience under its belt and, and all these uh, gals have played together a little bit. Hootie, great insight as always. We'll look for more of it at jerryratcliffe.com. 
and at who the underscore Ratcliffe on uh, on Instagram and Jerry Ratcliffe on Twitter as well. Great to be with you. Jerry Ratcliffe with us here in the fast lane. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokie, hokie, hokie high. With David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. David, a pleasure to be speaking with you in the fast lane. Trey was there. He said it was magical at Castle Coliseum yesterday. What adjective or adjectives would you use to describe if you had to pick two or three the entire day from start to finish in Castle Coliseum yesterday for the Virginia Tech Lady Hokies? Yeah, and I, I think it was spectacular and magnificent, and it was it was really a thing of beauty. Um, I think we've seen the way the community has surrounded the Virginia Tech football team when college game day has come to town before. That is quite a sight to see. Uh, and the show came to Virginia Tech in 2011 for basketball when the men's basketball team beat number one Duke. But for this crowd to support this team the way it did on Sunday morning, that was pretty special. And the craziest thing was it stuck around for the game. It was a sold-out crowd, and the Hokies locked up the number one seed in the ACC tournament uh, and a share of the regular season title with a win over North Carolina. All around a terrific day. I think spectacular is probably the best way to put it because everything that could go right for Virginia Tech did, and it's now getting the national attention that it deserves. Obviously, that's what happens when college game day comes to town. But the big networks, the big outlets have tech all the way up in the power rankings. The Hokies jumped to number five in the AP poll this morning. Lots and lots of things going well for the Hokies. And a lot of that is because of how they performed over the weekend. The real DConA on Twitter and Instagram, plus techsideline.com, and probably coming up on the latest TSL podcast, all the ways you can connect with David Cunningham and get his insight, which he's gracious enough to share with us here in the Fast Lane. David, from a win-loss perspective, did the game go the way you expected where Virginia Tech surged early, Carolina fought back, but ultimately the Hokies have the pieces, the maturity, and the coaching to have the answers and to pull out a victory going away? Yeah, I think Ed, it, 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 this is a Virginia Tech team that has battled all year, and there's a reason why it's won 10 consecutive games. Four of those were on the road against top 25 opponents. Tech's got a chance to go for five at number 17 Notre Dame on Thursday night. But the thing that impressed me the most was how Tech just approached this with a, with a business-like attitude. I wrote that after the game because the Hokies could have let the emotions of college game day or senior day get to them but like they've done all year they kind of just what about their business georgia amor jokingly said yeah basketball is life a reference to to danny rojas and, and ted lasso football is life um they they're just so relaxed they've been here before especially georgia amor and elizabeth kitley and kayla king and and doing that you know because they've been there before because they have that experience they're able to kind of just go, yeah, okay, it's a big game, but oh well, it's just another game to us. And to be able to kind of compartmentalize that, that's a really impressive thing. I think a lot of people would get so caught up in all of the stakes. The fact that game college game day was in town and it was senior day and you got a chance to win the ACC regular season title or at least a share. And Virginia Tech head coach Kenny Brooks said the Hokies didn't even touch the trophy after they won. 
They don't want anything to do with it until they win the conference outright. That's their mentality. They've got bigger goals, bigger aspirations. they got a chance to, to keep going forward this week, last week of the ACC regular season. David, it's great to have your insight here in the fast lane. And what's amazing is it's all been focused on the Lady Hokies and not the men's team. No disparaging to Mike Young per se, but what does it say now about the fact that right now the hottest brand in Virginia Tech, granted football is not playing and the spring game is six weeks away, so that's a nice shaker of salt of this. But you know, the, the, the hottest brand and the most discussed one, it's not the men's team, it's the women's team. Yeah, I think part of that is just who you have as the face of the program right now. Um, I, I think if you had to ask a lot of people who the face of Virginia Tech Athletics is right now as a player, they would probably go with McKinley and Georgia Amor. Um, I think some might pick Kyron Drones and Virginia Tech men's bat and Virginia Tech football, but I don't know if many people would pick Virginia Tech men's basketball. I, I think that just kind of tells you to where this Virginia Tech program has elevated itself in terms of women's basketball. Not everybody gets to have college game day come to town. And I tell you, Trey got to witness it. That was quite the show. That tells you where the Hokies are in the national landscape. And it's safe to say that none of the other sports, or at least the big ones, in terms of men's basketball and football. Granted, football has high expectations, but we're quite a long ways away from, from August 31st. But women's basketball is at the top of the game right now. Who knows how long it'll be there? I think it's sustainable. But when you have George Amor and Elizabeth Kitley and players like that who are bringing consistent and constant success, you have to cheer for it. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. People are flocking to it because they're so personable, but also because they win a lot of games. And when you win, it's really, really, really fun, as we all know. David, your insight is great. We'll look for more of it at techsideline.com. In the meantime, thank you for sharing some of it today here in the Fast Lane. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. Now to the Liberty Flames. With Alan York, the play-by-play voice of the Liberty Flames, is Florida International slipped by Liberty 76-71 this past Thursday evening down in Miami. And Miami was there calling the action for the Flames. Joins us now, Alan York, back with us once again here in the Fast Lane. Alan, Flames were close. They had a 14-point deficit. They erased it and actually had a brief lead in the second half, but were unable to sustain that falling to Florida International. Where is this team in terms of being close enough to be in these games at the end, but not close enough to get over the hump. Thanks for having me on again, Ed. To me, I think you have to look at defensively. That's the the staple of this program and where it's going to start with first. Uh, Defensively, I think there's been some fissures where the pack line has allowed guards to just get into the paint and distribute and kick out. And I think to me, uh, they have to kind of plug that up as we get closer to tournament time here in a couple of weeks. So that's where I would start. But again, they are so close, and that's been the story. And I think that'll just be the story of this team this year. Again, we don't know how the postseason is going to turn out, uh, but they've been so close, and that's something that we haven't had to talk a lot about uh, the last few years uh, with this basketball team. At the same time, it beats not being close at all. So a shot here or there, a stop defensively here or there, a backcourt violation called by the officials here or there, you never know what would happen. I'm sure if you had the magic answer to this, not only would you be uh, very wealthy thanks to Liberty, you'd be wealthy thanks to many college basketball programs. 
But how do you find the consistency for a team in Liberty where they always seem to have, they have all the pieces, but even this late in the year, it doesn't look like they've quite put it together with the offensive and defensive consistency on the same night to get over the hump. And that's a good thing if you're a Liberty fan. That good game, that great game is still out there. And so we've seen teams go on big runs in tournament time. I don't care what conference it is, and hopefully Liberty has one of those uh, in them down the stretch here. So a couple of weeks left in the regular season. Uh, the home versus away schedule in their favor with uh, four games left, three of them at home including Thursday night, 9 o'clock late one against New Mexico State. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the late ones, but we show up whenever the tip-off is, and it'll be 9 o'clock. Actually, we show up before the tip-off, but whatever. It'll be over in our spot, over in Bel Air. As Liberty gets ready to battle New Mexico State, we'll wrap it up with this, AY. Um, needless to say, the Flames will be very focused on revenge, maybe not outwardly using that phrase, but clearly dialed into New Mexico State given how the last game in Las Cruces ended. Yeah, I'm sure for the media we'll talk a lot about it. Robert Carpenter has not played since uh, that game a couple of weeks ago uh, where he punched Shiloh Robinson. And this team has moved on from it. They're ready to turn the page, and I'm sure we'll talk about it briefly in the pregame show come Thursday. But once that ball's tipped up at 9 o'clock, it's going to be game on. And the only revenge factor you want is just how the game ended in an overtime loss in Las Cruces. But uh, that's not what defines this team. They're not motivated by revenge or retribution. They just want to go play the best they can. Hopefully that's coming up on Thursday. Sounds like it'll be a fun balance of fans who understand what's at stake with the players not buying into the emotions, which means it's worth staying up late Thursday night to join Allen and myself over at our spot. Even though it's not really ours. It's the Liberty men's basketball team spot. That is Bel Air LA Liberty Arena. Allen, a pleasure to have you back in the fast lane. We'll see you Thursday and in the meantime, be well until then. I will do. Thanks, Ed. Our pleasure. Alan York with us here to wrap up part one of covering the Commonwealth. When we return, JMU, Radford, and NASCAR still to come. This is the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.